Okay, this is Trevor Hunt from BBC Radio Manchester, Rockin' Rugby League on White Line Fever. Welcome uh, to episode 36. I'm here uh, with Gareth Ellis. 44-6 England over France, but no one seems over the moon about no. it. No, it wasn't pretty. I think you know there was probably two sides to the game. I thought our defence was 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 pretty good actually. You know, for for a huge part of the game, we kept them to zero. Um, but obviously, the, the the downside and why you, why no one's really uh, you know shouting from the rooftops is I think you know in attack we were just a little bit scratchy, a little bit off, made far too many errors. You know, we spoke a lot about. How this is sort of in preparation for the World Cup, and I don't think we'll get away with a performance like that against some of the bigger teams. Now, I don't know if you were placed on report, but they'll probably have a look at it, a tackle early in the match. Yeah. Um, what are your recollections? Yeah, I, yeah, I was placed on report for for the incident. I don't really know. I've not not got a chance to watch it on on the big screen or or on video yet. So fingers crossed, because I'll really like really love to be involved again. You know, next week. Um, I think, like I said, there's a lot of areas of the game we need to work on and improve, on and I'd like to be part of that. So yeah, you have to wait and see. Now. Um, one of your teammates, another Gareth, Gareth Hockey, was man of the match, and I believe they got him on the BBC full time. And they asked him about rumours that he's going to Parramatta next year. Can you tell us any insight? Oh, has he I, uh, help? Has he asked you any advice? No, no, not yet. <laughs> so, uh, um, no, I've not. Uh, I've heard the rumours, but I don't know whether it's true or not. Um, obviously, he would be. He would be great down there. He's a great player, and you know we've got some great players that I think will will move down there eventually. I think that's just the way that way the game is going at the moment. Uh, particularly sort of with the TV rights and, uh, and and the things that they've got on offer down there now in terms of you know financially and, and the exchange rate you know mm-hmm. it's all it's all in the favour of, uh, of attracting you know sort of uh, the talented English boys so I think there will be one or two more going over. He's a skillful player and a tough player. Are there areas of his game you think he'd have to work on to be a success in the NRL? Oh, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> not a coach. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, like I said, I think he'd be he'd be great down there. He is he's a very tough player, uh, a bit of an enforcer. You know, he would mind mixing it up a little bit, but obviously a great ball runner as well. He'd uh, offer good, good halfback. I think he'd be busting all his left, right, and centre. So uh, it'd be great to see him do well down there. I think you know. The, in terms of you know the English boys you know getting the respect that they deserve, I think you know sometimes they have to go down there and, and prove it, and uh, he'd be one of them that I think could do it. Is it? I'll let you go in a second. Is, is it kind of the talk of this camp? You know, a little bit the, you know the. the TV rights in Australia and the the money going up, the better exchange rate. Do the boys yeah. talk about it? Oh yeah, a little bit. I think it's. I think you know. I think the way that the way it is, and I think there's a lot of players had the ambition to play in the NRL, even from a young age. So mm-hmm. it's not all about money, like I, like I was just saying. I think a lot of it's you know down to the opportunity to go live in Australia and experience life in another country. And uh, you know, if they were to ask me, I, I'd I'd give them that same advice. Mm-hmm. You know, it was I loved it, absolutely loved living in Australia. I loved my time there, and I love playing for West Tigers. But um, yeah, so if, you know, I can only speak from from my point of view, and I think it'd be great for one or two blocks. Thanks, Gareth. No problem.
Okay, welcome back uh, to the program. We're at Kaiser Stadium in Honolulu and the game between Queensland Indigenous and uh, the Hawaiian All-Stars has been over for about three hours. I'm here with Tony Curry, who's part of the management of the uh, Queensland side. <laughs> Explain to the listeners why we're still here. Well, Steve, uh, tsunami warning. We've already had one come in. There's another one coming in. It's midnight that it's uh, going to come in, so that means we've been here for about... Uh, three hours after the game and uh, no one's scared, we're on high ground, we're at an evacuation point but uh, it'll make a good story. <laughs> it certainly will. Now you guys had a little bit of an early warning didn't you because you had some dignitaries here at the game? Yeah we certainly did, we had the Mayor of Honolulu uh, and the Chief Consul, uh, Consul General, of uh, Australian Consul General and uh, look they had to make a rapid uh, evacuation out because obviously uh, the Mayor had uh, big things on his plate with a tsunami coming in he had a lot of work to do but uh, that took away about three quarters of our crowd but the tough ones, <laughs> the ones that could swim they stayed. <laughs> and it was a good win, 70 points to 8. Um, uh, what, what, did you, what did you think of that? You just would have been proud of the boys I suppose? Yeah well I happened to do the, uh, the commentating for the, for the crowd but I'll let them know that they were up against a very very good team. The Hawaii uh, Chiefs had to play, you know, basically 80% of our guys were semi-pro, a lot of them playing in the Intrust Super Cup. So uh, we brought across a fairly uh, flash side that uh, they did quite well. Um, we've had a very, very big week of um, dates and uh, we've had a dance trip that has come with us and they've performed uh, big time for the last three days, Steve, and uh, that means we've had to take the players. So the players have had a fairly, fairly heavy schedule. But uh, on, on the night, they certainly put it together and played some dazzling football and the crowd got some very good, good tries. But, you know, full credit to the Hawaii uh, Chiefs. Uh, they stuck it to us. They're, they're, they're raw bone, but they keep coming. They're nice and tough. Now, there was a... Even before the tsunami, things didn't go totally according to plan for the touring party, did they? You, you um, had to shell out a bit more cash than you expected? Yeah, we certainly did. Uh, luckily for the uh, Arthur Bitson Foundation, we did have the money there. Although we you know, we can't use it in Australia for, for some of the things we wanted to do, we've had to outlay a little bit extra. Some of the things we were promised on tour never eventuated. Um, uh, it wasn't due to our, our side of uh, organisation, but uh, we wanted to make sure that when the players came and the dance troupe came, that they were treated to the best possible organisation we could do. In fact, we, we've probably organised it from Australia, would you believe, the whole tour. Yeah. And uh, even for tonight, you know, we had to make sure we had amplifiers here and uh, actually the ground announce. Um, we had to supply uh, a touchy, you know. <laughs> so it was, uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Very, very... Uh, it was almost your home game tonight, wasn't it? Just in Honolulu. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. So we've been together pretty tightly and, you know, there are things you just can't factor in, but we'll learn from it. And just tonight, the boys were told at half-time because there were sirens sounding in the background during the match, which was actually quite scary, I thought. Um, did you tell them, or were the boys told at half-time what the situation was? Or? Well, I think the boys knew, but the sirens kept going, and uh, it, from my vantage point, high up in the grandstand, I could see all the action with all the cars moving, people coming from the lower grounds up into the uh, Kaiser Stadium here, and obviously this is an evacuation point, so uh, the, the car parks, chockers, the roads were all full, uh, even if we wanted to leave now, I, I guess we couldn't get back to Waikiki, 
Uh, my wife's in at Waikiki, so I'm stuck here and I can't really contact her. The hotel is just jammed with phone calls, so I'm hoping she's all right. I did get a call through, but uh, look, it's it, it's a bit exciting. I hope nothing serious comes out of the tsunami, but uh, it makes it exciting. A, a great story for our trip. Yeah, it certainly does. Now, before we go, um, 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 some bad news at home with, with West Panthers. They've put in mothballs just in the last few weeks. So can you say a few words about that? Yeah, as everyone knows, I'm an old West Panther and it's been a foundation club. 1908 it began, 1915 it morphed into the West Panthers and uh, unfortunately uh, this year will be the last year the West Panthers will play for maybe, uh, hopefully it'll be back in uh, 2014, but we're going into a bit of a hibernation. We spent a lot of money playing in the Fogs Cup and the Fogs Colts Cup uh, in the last five years to the tune of about $800,000, Steve, and that's a, that's a fair investment. We want to know where we're going. We want to know if we're a chance, when we can get into the Intra Super Cup, if we ever will, uh, because as the longer we go without being in that top flight of com- uh, competition, we're going to lose our culture. We've lost a lot of our culture, lost a lot of our volunteers, lost a lot of our past players over the last 10, and it's very, very tough to keep a club going. Uh, the funny thing is, you know, we've been financial for the last two years and paid our players on time, probably better than some of the uh, Intra Super Cup clubs running around at the moment. So hopefully, uh, you know, with the Commission's money through the billion-dollar uh, media deal, it does come back quicker than we think it should and uh, maybe uh, the West Panthers will be resurrected in 2014 but mate we've just made a decision uh, we find that uh, without any guidance from our governing body that's the QRL uh, and, and no assistance that we can't possibly go on for 2013. That's pretty unfortunate let's hope uh, you're right and, um, and we're so back in uh, 2014 and uh, now we've, I suppose there's talk of people going to the pub, even with uh, we're waiting for the second wave, so we'll see what eventuates there as well. Okay, mate, thank you. Uh, I can swim pretty well, so I'm okay. <laughs>
Hey, what's up? This is Scott Ian. This is Rob Caggiano of Anthrax, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Uh, welcome back, and um, it's a fellow I didn't expect to be talking to today or at all until maybe next year, Or, but I've got Jamie Peacock here. Jamie, um, yourself and Darren Lockyer are promoting the World Cup. Uh, neither of you will be playing in it. Um, is that how does that feel? Like, uh, do, you, do you get a few pangs of jealousy uh, towards the fellows who will be? Yeah, a little bit. I think, you know, when I watched the Olympics, I, I was thinking, have I made the, the wrong decision here? You know, just seeing how well Great Britain did and made me want to go out and play again. But come the end of the year, when I was tired at the end of the grand final, I realised it was the right decision. You, you, your body, as you get older, can't, can't keep peaking and peaking. And, uh, you know, the international game's one step too far at the end of the year for me. Well, how do you, what, what sort of shape do you think the international game is in at the moment? The Kiwis seem to be still, um, well, they're, they're still World Cup holders. They're snapping at the Australians' um, heels. But unfortunately for England, um, they want a tougher opposition. No disrespect to, to France and Wales. I mean, um, do you think the, the preparation that England have had... Um, is going to be enough, or is it just has to be, I suppose? Yeah, it just has to be. You know, I think, like I was trying to say to another journalist, is, is a bit of mindset needs changing, I think, around international football, that especially in this country, that you don't play games to get better to beat Australia New Zealand, not necessarily internationally. You, you play internationals because you want to represent your country, and if you mm. beat someone 80.6, well, that's the way it is. You mm. know, unfortunately, that's how it is. And not every game you play internationally for England has to be about closing the gap mm. between New Zealand and Australia. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a big mindset that needs changing over here. I think everyone views international rugby that way, and if we're not mm. playing Australia and New Zealand, why are we playing anyone, anyone else? Mm-hmm. But perhaps, as a player, every time you play for England, you, you, you want it's the pinnacle of, pinnacle of uh, your career as a sportsman so I think that's the way you need to look at mm. obviously in preparing for the World Cup I think you can if they go to the South Africa again it'll be good for them because they've been there before but yeah mm. apart from that I think uh, I think preparation for playing Australia and New Zealand we've got a lot of guys playing in the NRL and historically you look back over the last 20 years when when we've got more guys playing in the NRL, we do better against New Zealand and Australia. It looks like there's more and more going as well. Tom Briscoe, Gareth Hocker, the latest mentioned. Um, you obviously think it's a good thing. It's a good and a bad thing, isn't it? You know, I think it's the same with everything in life. Um, I think the good thing is for England. I think it improves England's chances of beating Australia and New Zealand because uh, it improves the standard of, of the players and also you know, breaks down a bit of the boundaries and, and some of the myths about some of the Aussie players but it's a bad thing for the competition over here in Super League that we're, we're losing some of our top line players The next uh, big game for you well, is a World Club Challenge um, yeah. there was some talk of it being played in Australia but again that's not going to happen you've been hearing that I suppose for 10 years now that well, the next one's going to be in Australia Yeah, I think um, there's more chance of uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> What's there that? But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, we hear it every year and we just ignore it now. I don't, I don't think realistically it's going to happen this year. Maybe you know, a couple of years da- time it may happen. You know, there may be some development within the World Cup Challenge, which needs it needs to move on. It needs to change in format a little bit and become mm. a little bit bigger. I think a bit like um, the Heineken Cup in rugby union and also the Champions League in football. I think mm. having a, a good international club scene is important for, for a rugby league. Mm. And um, was it, how is it, as I said, with uh, Leeds, we talked about it before off air, you keep talking every year about having a, a consistent season, but it, it just it just doesn't happen. And there's times of the year that I'm sure you think yeah. things are going to end badly. Your fans think things are going to end badly, but you always lift at the end. I mean, can you put your finger on why it always happens? Is it just you've got big game players in the team? Is, or or do, you, do you feed off being underdogs? How, how, why yeah. is it? Good question. I think, I think it's difficult for our side because... You know, we're an aging, aging side, and at the beginning of the year, we had to peak for the Manly game, and that, and that 
mm. it took a lot of doing Manly a great signing to beat them no one had won the World Cup Challenge for three sides and then obviously we, we dropped up right off in the middle of the year as we got hammered by a couple of sides mm. then we pick up at the back end I just think we've got a lot of big game players but I, I think we're you can have big game players who can play well in big games, right, but don't contribute anything towards a team. Winning a big game, I think, <laughs> our league's team. We're all big game players because we all know exactly what our roles are within the team to win a big game. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, like, the, I think, like, the Queensland team is like that. They're, everybody knows exactly their role, what to do and how to win a big game. Mm. It might not be their preferred game or might not be their yeah. best game, but they mm. know what's required for the best of the team. Mm. And I think... More than any other team, we understand that as a set of players. We all know how we need to play individually to contribute towards the team to win. Mm. And I think we all come together at the end of the year. And I think a lot of, a lot of teams, I'll be fair in Super League, you know, play, play the best rugby too early on. Mm. When you start on the 1st of February and you don't finish till the end of the first week in October, you can't be playing your best rugby, I don't think, mm. at the beginning of the year. You've got to learn to peak at the right time. And, our competition is steep towards the back end of the year. Mm. The semi-finals of the Challenge Cup are there. The Challenge Cup is in August. Then two in August. Then you've got your playoffs. So like the big games are at the back end of the year, and that's when you need to peak. And we just—that's how we, we perform. Mm-hmm. Finally, um, a topic we'll talk to Darren about is um, eligibility. Yeah. Hottest, one of the hottest topics in the game. Um, Rangi Chase isn't playing. Yeah. Will he play next year? In the world? Who knows? But I mean, everyone's got their thoughts on how it should yeah. work. You, have you got any? Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit of the, the state of origin one is that I think if we go back to that, I think you know, it's, I think with the guys like like Tamar, he, he should play for New Zealand and New South Wales. I think that rule needs to change over there. I think mm. you know, if you play, if you're born in New Zealand, or say have New Zealand parents, but play club first club football mm. for New South Wales or Brisbane, well, that's when that's where you play for. But then you can go play the international. Mm. Because I think he's killing it a bit, really. Mm. Is that, and I think um, there needs to be clearer rules about it. About, um, and I think, do you know what? I think if you had a bigger international scene, then you won't see it as much. I think mm. some players see it that perhaps they'll not get the chance to play against the bigger team, so they choose to represent perhaps England or Australia mm. or New Zealand. Whereas if you had the, the chance to play against the bigger sides all the time and play for Fiji or, you know, these kind mm. of sides, then I think it'd be better for the game. What about the home nations, though, where with England Knights, guys are switching from Ireland and Scotland yeah. to... Because well, you know that's down because there isn't Great Britain. That's mm-hmm. plain and simple, right? Mm. If there was a Great Britain every four years, then I don't think you'd see that because I think you'd see the players who could play for Scotland, play for Scotland, the players who play mm. for Ireland, play for Ireland, the guys who mm. play for Wales, play for Wales, and then... Once every four years, you get together for Great Britain, and then mm. these guys get to play in a strong side against yeah. Australia and New Zealand. Mm. I think, try to think of a, um, ben, ben Flower, the prop, mm. prop who plays for Wales. Mm. He could be good enough to be a squad player for a Great Britain, mm-hmm. you know, within the squad of Great Britain, mm. and stick, still stick with Wales. Or like Mickey, mm. when he played for Ireland, McClellan mm-hmm. could have maybe stuck with Ireland and then come together for yeah. Great Britain. I think the lack of Great Britain is the reason why this is happening. Mm. I think Great Britain is a is an unbelievably big brand mm. and it should be brought back not yeah. every year but every four years especially after the Olympics as well yeah mm. usually after the Olympics mm. so, mm. you know 
everyone knows who Great Britain is now, don't they? <laughs> We're off the back of the Olympics, and everyone would have an affinity with Great Britain if they brought it back. But it has to be a special event once every four mm. years. You know, maybe every four years the, the Aussies have the Ashes here, and then we go over there. So it's like mm. every eight years you mm. have the Ashes over here. Mm. Every eight years you tour, mm. but it's every four years. And if you're injured that year, tough. You, you know, it's, it's got to be a special. It's a special jersey to wear, and it should be brought back. The game's missing something by not having Great Britain. Thanks, Jamie. Cheers.
this is Martorian from the Bullet Boys, and you're listening to White Line Fever right here, baby. Let's just do this. Okay, that was TNN, which stands for Tooth and Nail, and the song is Tooth and Nail. It's three quarters of the classic Dokken lineup, minus singer Don Dokken, and um, the vocalist there is Doug Pinnock of King's X. Um, now, that's what this uh, segment is all about. Uh, it's just back announcing the songs and forward announcing the next couple because uh, we've been all interviews. I think it's been the best program we've ever had as far as rugby league chat is concerned. Uh, pretty light on for rock and roll. Aside from the actual songs, and the first one we had was from Kiss, and it was called Freak, and it's off that great uh, new album, Monster. And um, the second one is a band that I'll be seeing by, probably by the time you hear this program. Uh, they are playing the Shepherd's Bush Empire on the 9th of November and believe it or not 18 years ago on the very same day they became the first rock band to play at that uh, London venue now I haven't got um, for this week any stuff off their uh, the new album uh, from um, Soundgarden the, the band in question but uh, what I did play was Live to Rise which is uh, a soundtrack song uh, which appeared on uh, the Avengers uh, movie recently. So that's Soundgarden. Um, now, the songs we've got uh, coming up uh, are a Kid Rock, and then uh, after that, to finish the program, uh, we'll be hearing uh, some new music. Again, it's all new music. Uh, this time, it'll be from Jeff Tate, and it's... Take a Bullet. Of course, Jeff Tate has put together his own version of Queensryche. But uh, the, the song is called Take a Bullet. The album is called Kings and Thieves. Uh, it was out um, just um, uh, a few days ago, beginning of, uh, beginning of uh, November. Uh, as far as the Kid Rock album is concerned, it will be uh, released um, at the end of the month. It's called Rebel Soul. And as I said, the... Um, the song is called Let's Ride. And after this, uh, after we hear from Kid Rock, we'll be hearing from the great Darren Lockyer.
Rusty from Electric Mary, and you are on White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back. I'm here in um, wet, cold London, and uh, there's a fella here who I saw here this time last year. I expect to see him here this year, next year, but I've got no idea why he's here now. There's uh, Darren Lockett. Can you explain to people what you're doing here? No, I, I didn't. When I left here last year, I didn't envisage I'd be here this year. <laughs> That's what here. I was trying to say. And I'll be here again next year. Um, World Cup. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's 12 months away, and, and um, you know it's it's. You know, I thought 2008 was a was a, a big step in the right direction, and it was a big success down under. And I think um, you know there's a lot of excitement about this one in in the northern hemisphere in, in England and Wales. And I think it's it's really uh, important that we. But, you know, we um, we embrace it. I've got to say, I admit, I've personally been a bit critical of the NRL for looking inwards over the years, not looking outwards, and I wasn't a big fan of the new logo with all the green and gold on it, but uh, the fact that the NRL has basically footed the bill for this trip indicates that they do sort of, uh, you know, take their responsibility to the game seriously, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I guess, um, you know, our domestic game is in good shape. At the new broadcast deal, things are looking very positive in Australia, and we need to, um, you know, start making some investments in, in the international game as well. And I think uh, the NRL sees that, and that's why I'm here. And you know, I believe in the international game. That obviously was a big part of my career, and I think, uh, you know, uh, but I'm also excited about what 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 the tournament's going to bring next year. So between now and the World Cup, and at the World Cup. What's your role going to, going to be? I mean, you'd be obviously going around doing functions, doing media like this. What, what, what are you going to be doing, I suppose, here in 12 months and in the lead-up? Uh, that hasn't really been confirmed. Yeah, hasn't, we haven't drilled down that far yet. It, we're basically... It was always at the start of this year. We, we talked about coming here and um, you know doing what we're doing right now. And, and so... I'm sure that uh, at some point in time we'll start to plan my trip back here next year, and we'll, it'll just be be a part of it all. Mm. Uh, that you know, just being um, you know over here, and and I think there's a lot of I guess ex players that are out there that have that have played in World Cups or played for their country, and I'm sure they'll they'll be encouraged to be a part of it too because I think um, you know, the game has has got a lot of history, and, and mm. to have those people involved is important. The, you, you're ambassador for the international game on behalf of the NRL. What have you got? I know you've got to be a bit diplomatic because you're positioned. But what, what do you think are a few things that could be done, maybe to lift the profile of the uh, the game in Australia, the international game in Australia? Eligibility is a massive thing. Uh, do they come to you for advice on that issue, for instance? I've uh, discussed it. I mean, obviously there's the eligibility um, sort of issues around state of origin at the moment, and, and it's you know it's I guess. It's also an issue at international level, but I think you know, those, those sort of developing nations at the moment need need the all support they can get, and, and if we can, if they can get the services of some NRL players, and I think that's only going to benefit them. Mm. So you know, look, I, I just think we need to really um, you know prepare well for this, and mm. and back home in Australia, I think that the important part is that we we get the word out that the. the mm. You know, we try and encourage Australians to come over and watch the Kangaroos. Which we encourage the New Zealanders to come over uh, and, and, and be a part of it. You know, mm. I think uh, the, the game needs to. The international game um, can gain a lot of momentum from a successful World Cup here. Mm. So, with your sort of loyalties, if, jo if a Josh Papali decides to go Queensland, 
there's half of your cheer and half of your boo. Like, I mean, you obviously have the interests of the international game at heart as well as you want to see Queensland do well. Is that a difficult thing for you uh, to, to juggle with? You know, I, I think, um, you know, there's once they, they sort out, they get a, you know, a, a black and white criteria about the eligibility around origin and... I mean, that, that, that'll be uh, a good thing for the game, but I think when we're trying to develop, you know, you know countries like Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, Wales, all those countries, I think um, you know, having these players that, that have had NRL experience and, you know, they, don't rep- they can't sort of represent Australia, well, uh, at this point in time, I think it's, it's, it, it's the right thing to do to, to allow those guys to play for other countries. Once those countries begin... You know, get, get a, a foundation become a lot stronger. Then, then we should look at you know, you know changing or altering mm-hmm. the rules. But at this point in time, we need to make as many nations as we can um, compete against you know, the, the so-called big three. So, if you miss out on Australia, New Zealand, England, you should be able to go back and represent someone else. Should qualify for. Yeah, yeah. To be, you know, we we got to sort of face the facts that you know, our game in an, at an national has still got a long way to go. So. Mm-hmm. We need to put things in place that's going to get it to a point where we can have, you know, we don't have to have these sort of eligibility rules around the World Cup. I mean, at the moment, eligibility rules are relaxed in a World Cup year. So I think that's, at this point in time, that's the right thing to do. Tell us about your first year out of football. Darren, how was it? How did you find the TV? Was it was it fun? Was it stressful? Was it? How did you find it? Oh, it's a bit of a, a bit of all that. I, I think <laughs> uh, you know when you go into something you've never done before, um, it's nerve wracking, and you know you got to learn a whole new set of skills. Mm-hmm. And at the start of the year, I probably felt uh, you know, the enjoyment wasn't there for me, and, and I probably questioned whether it was the way to go or, or what. Really, did I really want to be doing this? But as the season wore on, got a bit more comfortable, and obviously the guys I played a bit of footy with and working with them, and 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 guys I haven't worked with before, once I got a bit more comfortable with them, I started to started to enjoy it. And, and it's you know look, you look at it, it's you, know, you get to sit on the sideline and there's some pretty big games, so that that adrenaline rush that you miss mm. as a player, you, you get some sort of um, substitute, you know. Mm. And it's you know Channel Nine are a good company to work for. So by the end of the year, I was really enjoying it. And is coaching something you've crossed off? Is it not something you want to do, or is it just a matter of time and an opportunity? I've always said that uh, I wouldn't rule out coaching, but uh, you know, I knew there's no desire right there mm-hmm. in me at the moment. So in the short term, I think you know from a, there's no as I said there's no desire to be want to, want to be a head coach of an NRL or, or a representative team. So. I'm just really, I've really enjoyed my first year out, mm. and I think um, the balance between work and family and, and business interests has been has been good. And uh, the Broncos year, what were, you, what were your thoughts of? They had really good period, maybe they overachieved at times and underachieved at times. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think it was there for everyone to see. They just struggled after the Origin series. It it took its toll. Uh, you know, a lot of lot of players were you know quoted, and the storm went through the same thing. They're saying it was the most intense series that they've played. So mm. it, t- it took its toll on the the Broncos senior players, and and therefore the the younger brigade just couldn't generate or manufacture the um, what was lacking. So mm. uh, they'll be better for the run mm. the next year. I think um, they'll be they'll be more prepared for the 
the beyond uh, or the post origin series and and I think they'll be uh, more in the mix finally what else what else do you do with your time you've got a young family you're doing this job with the uh, NRL slash ARL and you're doing TV commentary what, what else do you do with your time oh, I have you know a few business interests out there and I'm associated with a few other companies and mm. sort of going to go into too much detail with those, but they, um, you know, they really, um, they challenge me, and but they're also very rewarding as well at the time, so as I said before, I, I just found I've got, a, since retiring, uh, that I just feel like the, just the pressure's off, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more relaxed, and there's no um, roller coaster ride of emotions, but, you know, from winning and losing big games, so it's, there's a good balance, and I'm, I'm, an, I'm enjoying life, and... I'm still involved in rugby league, and particularly, you know, I want to make a difference with the international game. Mm. Thanks, Darren.
wildlife fever. Going around land down under. Going to turn around the corner way down yonder. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and Dig Michael Monroe Sensory Overdrive, the album, the band. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.